Start a new transition in life, whether in parenthood, job transition, healing, or creating a brand new life. Be with us in Panta Kalhor Transition Channel. Episode 43, Fertility Empowerment Show, PCOS and Endometriosis with Dr. Adrian Lara, medical doctor, gynecologist, and cosmetic specialist. Please subscribe to Panta Kalhor Transition channel in YouTube and order my book Naturally Conceived through Amazon. Get pregnant by unleashing your reproductive power. PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis are two common problems for women with uh, fertility issues and today we're gonna uh, show you how we can treat this syndromes and how if we even with these problems how we can get pregnant we have a very special guest today Doc, dr adrian lara medical doctor gynecologist and cosmetic specialist women's sexual medical expert she she used to be a nurse but now she, she went to medical school at boston university and completed her internship and residency program in obstetrics and gynecology at beth israel deaconess medical center which is part of harvard medical school i'm so happy to have you here welcome to my podcast Dr. Uh, Adrian Lara. Yes. I am I am so honored to be here. We were just talking before the podcast that how important we think it is that women attain knowledge because knowledge truly is power and I don't mean that power hungry. I mean power over your own body and the ability to own your own body. And so I'm I'm thrilled that we're going to do this podcast. Let's get going, okay? I have a lot to say. <laughs> so much you know one of the one of the interesting thing i saw in your biography was yes. that you believe that patient and doctor should work together it's like a Absolutely. collaborative and teamwork uh, is a collaborating process and teamwork that they should work together and another thing that it was very interesting for me was that you don't just see the syndrome you just don't go for the signs that the patient had that and you see the whole body uh, of your patient and you try to work with her with the mind and the spiritual um, mm -hmm. spirits and her body as well so everything together Absolutely. I, uh, our philosophy at my center, and I call it Celebrating Center, uh, uh, Celebrating Women's Center for Health, Beauty, and Wellness, I believe we enter a collaborative partnership for, to optimize a woman's health, beauty, and wellness. I think especially when you're a doctor of women, women want a relationship with their physician. Uh, they want the physician to know who they are. And I, I did a an impromptu survey one day and ask them what they really want. I, and most of them said, I want the doctor to know who I am. I don't want something to fly by night. So I try, I jokingly tell my patients, you're more than a pap smear to me, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's true. It's not uh, facetious 
to say that the mind is connected to the body. And certainly in women, there's a strong, strong, strong connection with their emotions and with their thoughts, with every aspect of their life. We're built that way. Our DNA is wired that way. It's why we're maternal and why we're nurturers. I love who we are as women. I love it. And I don't want to deny a single part of it. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like, I love uh, this positive intention that you have. Yeah, I, I believe everyone was given a gift in life. Uh, this might get a bit spiritual. And I know when I was at Harvard, they would laugh at me when I would say things like this. But I said, listen, our bodies are a gift from God or call it the source or call it the power. But our bodies and our health are a gift. In order to show gratitude and respect that gift, we need to take care of it. And that's as doctors what we're training to do is we're training to help people to take care of themselves. I often tell patients, I I don't heal, you heal yourself and I bring you there. So I don't overestimate what I do, but I think that being a doctor for me, since I want to be a doctor since I was eight years old, for me, it is a dream come true. It's an awesome privilege and, and a huge responsibility. And I never take it for granted, but I do live my dream every day. I live my dream every day. I love it. I love your positive energy. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> So what is this PCOS? What is the definition? I, I happen to love PCOS. <laughs> so hopefully we can tell women who have been given this diagnosis to embrace it and to love it. And that's what I do. Listen, just as God gave you your brown eyes and your size seven foot and your brown hair, God gave you PCOS or it's something that you have. It's part of your journey. And the idea is to learn how to connect with it and not take it on as anything less than a gift. My philosophy, and I think this came when I had cancer three years ago. I had stage three cancer and I recognized that everything in life was a gift, including my cancer. So when you're given a diagnosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, listen to the last word first. Syndrome means that it is not a disease. So I tell my patients, nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. That's the first thing they want to hear. Number two, you can get pregnant, okay? You can get pregnant. Number three, we need to regulate your periods. Okay, so I try to simplify things to what are the, the needs. Now, we see polycystic ovarian syndrome in anywhere from 6 to 21% of reproductive age women. And the one message, Patea, that I want us to get across is just because you have polycystic ovarian syndrome as a diagnosis, it does not correlate to infertility. Okay, so you cannot say, I have PCOS, I'm infertile. Not true. Not true. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of women with polycystic ovarian syndrome that have gotten pregnant spontaneously multiple times. And so there's proof in the pudding in that they can't, you can get pregnant without assistance. But if you have difficulty getting pregnant and you do have the diagnosis, it needs to be treated. So you do need a little extra help. Real simply, polycystic, so now we dealt with the syndrome. It's not a disease. It can't really be cured. It's just a condition of the body. Polycystic refers to how they saw the diagnosis. Let's go back a step and define it. Polycystic ovarian disease is the inability, and we're going to make it simple, the inability to ovulate or drop an egg. Mm -hmm. And that happens sometimes because of, now this is getting complicated here, insulin resistance, or, which leads to increased androgen. 
don't memorize that. There's no pop quiz in five minutes. Androgens mean you have more of the male hormone, testosterone, and we believe it can be from the message of the upper brain to the pituitary and down to the ovaries. So when you have a cycle, it goes bing, bada, bing, bada, bing, make an egg. And so if the bing, bada, bing, bada, bing, make an egg is not at the right rhythm or amplitude, you can have problems. It can be an, an inherent problem in the ovaries themselves. We could get into the science of the cause, but to tell you the truth, I don't go that far with patients because mm. what caused it isn't as important as how to deal with it. Like it and the main thing is if you're not ovulating regularly you have irregular periods so know that dropping an egg will cause a period afterwards unless you get pregnant so these women come in and oftentimes they will have the complaint of my periods aren't regular I've gone two, four, or six months without a menses. And is that normal? No, it is not normal to go without a period. And so if you're not having regular cycles of menses and bleeding, you're not building up the endometrial lining and then shedding it out with a period, you should do this every month. Build it up, shed it out, build it up, shed it out. If you build it up and you get pregnant, then you grow, okay? But you should have a period every month. It means you're cycling your hormones. And if you're not, it's not normal. So they usually come into my practice with my periods are abnormal. Then we begin to ask and notice a few other things that have to do with, uh, with the diagnosis, which can be clinical and, and chemical. We can get labs as well as the clinical diagnosis is somewhat easy to make. So a woman comes in, my periods are abnormal. And I'll ask her things like, oh, have you noticed any acne? And she goes, yeah, I've been breaking out a lot. And it's not even with my periods since they're abnormal. I have a lot of breaking out. Have you noticed any hair growth on your face, like sideburns or mustache or on your breast or on your lower abdomen or on your inner thighs? Have you noticed that? That's also excess testosterone, and that can cause hair growth in a male pattern. Have you noticed obesity? And obesity can come because you have insulin resistance. So a triad that we'll see with patients is irregular periods, obesity, and then, uh, and then and, um, hair growth. But it's not always true. There are some very thin women that have only one aspect, only one aspect of uh, PCOS, and that's the irregular periods. So there are variations. The bottom line is, if you're not drink, dropping an egg every month and you want to get pregnant, you need an egg, we help you to drop an egg. And that's the treatment for fertility, which I'll talk more about later. But the primary treatment is you need to have a period every month. Now, why would you need to have one? A lot of women will take, put in an IUD and they'll stop their periods or take continuous birth control pills and they won't have a period. My young women who are in college and working two jobs and have a relationships, they love not to flow blood every month. They're, they're like, hallelujah, great. Some cultures like my own, Mexican or Latina, they feel that the period signifies their femininity and they feel awkward if they don't bleed. So there's a full gamut, but actually you need to have one if it's not controlled with hormones, and you need to have one naturally at least every three months. 
And so why do you need to have that? We did studies on the, if my hands are the uterus and the lining is in here, every month the lining grows and grows. If it's allowed to grow greater than three months, there is a risk that the tissue inside the uterus will be abnormal. So some women with PCOS and irregular periods will say, doctor, I don't want to take peer, I don't want to take pills to control my period. And I'll say to them, fine, if you go three months without a period, we're going to have to give you a hormone that pulls everything out of the uterus. And they work that way. They just give themselves a period every three months if they don't have it. Most women with polycystic ovarian syndrome want to know when their period's coming. Just like all of us, we want to know when's it going to come. We don't want it to surprise us in the middle of a, I don't know, in the middle of a cocktail party or in the middle of our geometry class. You know, we want to know when it's going to happen. And so most women will go on birth control pill, which actually gives a message to your body to build up the lining and then to bleed it out. You do not ovulate on birth control pills. That's how they keep you from getting pregnant. So that is a solution to the irregular periods. Solution to the uh, hair growth, we have certain hormones we can give for that. Generally speaking, if you control the menses or the ovarian function, if you control it through an outside source like the pill, you will eventually, within six months, the hair growth will stop as well. Nice. What about so, any um, food or any natural treatment? That would be wonderful, but this is more a neurohormone sort of thing. Like I said, the, the, from the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and then something inherent. We think insulin resistance, inflammation, and sometimes a genetic predisposition can give you PCOS. So in terms of food, I can't say anything except if you, I know I like to take, because they're antioxidants and they capture free radicals, I like to eat the berries and that sort of thing. And if inflammation is, we found that with women and PCOS, that we saw a higher rate of inflammatory signs, then that would be something to look at. I do know, based on my brother who's tried this and is using this, there is such thing as an anti-inflammatory diet. So you tend to eat the foods that won't inflame. What's the major one? And I don't even have to have be on the diet to know this, but sugar. We yeah, all know everybody that. said that. Everybody say that. You know, and, and I don't know why God made it so good, you know, but yeah, sugar will cause inflammatory response. So the more that you can cut sugar out of your diet and uh, and find that to be true, and also the carbohydrates for the same reason, because they break down into glucose. So that would be the only thing that I could um, uh, comfortably say because I'm not, that's not my forte, but you know what? Anything that people that people find, like with my patients, again, going to that co collaboration, Pantea, if you have PCOS and you come to me with an article and say, look, I read this and is this something worth doing and can it help? I will review it with you. I try to empower, well, find, help my patients find their own power for doing due diligence, for looking things up, for doing some of their research, for engaging with themselves about what's going on. Because I tell them there's only one you in the whole world. In the whole world, there's only one you. Protect it, save it, know it. And so they will come back a lot of times with, um, with information and we'll review it together and see if it's something that they should try. I love that. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, in in my situation because yeah. i was struggling for fertility two years i yeah. found out 
it's very important to have a positive doctor with you because what what happened in the beginning they talk about the statistics and then your age and then oh it's very difficult and when you go with this attitude going for pregnancy of course you fail that's that's easy like absolutely 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 right and i think there should be a movement there is more of a movement now i went through infertility as well for three years and that was at a time in boston in massachusetts where your insurance we were one of four states where your insurance covered everything i had ivf i had ICSI, i had iui i had you know we placed the the eggs in the tubes we did ever i had so many surgeries and so many cares i got three miscarriages out of it it was truly probably the age of my eggs but i remember saying to my doctor who was also one of my professors who was also a friend i had sat on the side of the desk with him and now i was a patient when he said, well, we've tried everything and this is kind of the end of the road. I looked at him, I said, listen, until I'm menopausal, I won't believe that I'm infertile. You are are drop kicking me to the curb and I don't don't accept it, okay? I'm gonna go out there and figure until I actually go through menopause, I'm gonna have a baby. So that's where my head's at, just so you know, you know, all, all this stuff that we've been doing. So I felt that we were not, I didn't feel like there was a good continuum for women or support within and and they um on infertility they uh they would have support groups of all the infertile women but it was so sad they all cried and they all they all i remember my girlfriend ali domore who's a phd started through the mind and body institute at beth israel part of harvard medical school they started in the 90s a, a center called the mind and body institute and it was based on herb benson the doctor in the 70s who believed that the type a personality if you taught people to relax for 20 minutes a day we could we could find ourselves being more i I imagine now that it's more more dopamine was produced serotonin oxytocin that we just got into a better state of health well ellie domar the phd she said i wonder if reducing stress will help infertility so she started an infertility and stress group she had a hundred women in the group i joined because i had secondary infertility i had one son and it was truly some women could not even get through their story as we went around the room she taught these patients two things they hooked up with a buddy so they had a buddy they could call and she had them meditate for 20 minutes every day 20 minutes every day phones off television off beepers off you know and these were women especially in boston who were high-powered educated women who had uh, foregone pregnancy for their education and career so there was a lot of conflict here they would do that 20 minutes a day out of a hundred people who had never gotten pregnant before she had a 60 percent pregnancy rate. wow that's 60%. amazing by that's teaching amazing. patients to slow down everything and just relax it was amazing to me. Now, fecundity, I never got the, you know, fecundity is when you take the baby home with you, but to have a 60% uh, pregnancy rate was amazing. You know who else had it in Boston that I went to? Who? My acupuncturist, Bowen Lee. Exactly. Acupuncture. I love it. I did acupuncture as well. <laughs> of course. And you know what I think it was? Because for 30 minutes, 
during the week, I would lie there with 35 needles in my pelvic area and have to relax. And I think, I think if I could cartoon it for you, I think if you fertilize an egg and it gets into your uterus and says, oh, this girl has too much hypertension. Oh my God, this girl's really freaking me out. She's nervous. Oh my God, her heart rate's so fast. She's always, look at all the cortisone. She, she goes, I'm not staying in that uterus. I'm not staying there. She is never calm. You know, I mean, the egg has seven days to plant in. Seven days, they check you out and they figure out, is this a good fit? So I, I figured that had something to do with it, you know? Yeah. So it, it all works and there you go mind and body so with pcos going back to pcos we um treat the weight loss we treat the insulin uh, resistance with metformin which is an anti-hyperglycemic we treat the regulation of periods with ocps or over oral contraceptive pills we treat the infertility. I love treating infertility and PCOS because it's kind of magic, okay? And I'll tell you why. There is a pill called Clomid or Clomiphene. Yeah. You know it. And it yeah. acts as an estrogen antagonist, so it stops estrogen, but it also acts uh, like an agonist too, so it is almost the same as it. it. It can be the same and against. So one of the things that those little ovaries of ours in PCOS are doing is they're going chugga, 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 chugga. They're making tons of estrogen going, drop an egg, drop an egg, drop an egg, drop an egg. So the excess estrogen is then converted to testosterone too. If you take clomiphene now, it stops that estrogen, but it fools the body into thinking there's estrogen. So it stops the excess, but it fools the body into thinking there's estrogen, just the right amount for ovulation, and you pop an egg. I love that drug because I'll tell you why I love it. And I don't say that about many drugs, because, but I love clomiphene because it's very specific. So it doesn't affect the rest of the body. It's very safe. So you really don't run a risk of uh, overstimulation or ovarian overstim with it. And it works. It works. So what it does is it tricks your body into ovulating and we get, uh, we get a pretty damn good uh, pregnancy rate or conception rate with the wow. clomiphene. You take it, you, uh, we usually put you on birth control to regulate the uterus, get all the right hormones for a month, and then birth control for another room to make sure the uterus is all smooth on the inside and the right attention from the hormones, the right message. And the, after the second month, we started on your cycle, the third day of your bleeding. Wow. And so it's, really, it's really fun. We, I've had a good rate, even in my, I'm a generalist, I'm not an infertility specialist, but we've had a good rate and it still proves to be a good rate of pregnancy. And if clomiphene, clomiphene will use for four months. And the reason we use it for four months, we change the dose from 50, 100, 150, 200. Now, they, the studies show that in the first three months, you have the highest highest chance of getting pregnant. But in the fourth month, you go down a little, but it's still higher than the normal rate. So we do it for four months. Yeah. If that doesn't work, there are other medications, usually injection form that will work to trick your body into dropping an egg. And it's not just dropping the egg, as you know, we have to drop the egg and then instruct them for three days to make love and have intercourse so that the sperm is there. I laugh because I, I, I laugh. I laugh because that sperm and egg, they're like men and women because the egg comes in and she's there for three days. She has longevity, but the sperm goes in really fast and dies, you know? So 
you have to set up some sperm as soon as you know that you're going to ovulate and you do this with a little kit you take the you take the clomiphene and then you count your cycle and you start checking with a little stick in your urine am i ovulating am i ovulating and when the stick turns oh. colors you come up babe we got to do it for three days okay <laughs> And then, and then he comes in, he has to drop his sperm in you so that there's little spermies waiting for the egg to drop. And then they die and the egg's there. So he has to do it the second day. So there's little spermies going at the egg and then they die and the egg's still there. So he has to send little spermies to meet the end of the egg. It's just, a, I just think it's a cartoon in my head. Yeah. It's how I got through med school, but it makes sense. Yeah, it is. And yeah, and it can work. It can work. Uh, the, we're going to say it again. You and I, when we spoke about this, we, we wanted the same message to go across, which was a diagnosis of PCOS is not a diagnosis of infertility. No, not, not at all. And 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 I would one thing I would advise that I've had patients do too is they go on some of these blogs that talk about PCOS like their life is ruined and it was the end of their life and their marriage just broke up and uh-uh uh-uh listen to this I can say this PCOS ain't cancer okay it's not it's simply something you need to learn to manage okay exactly. it's yeah and it works it's oh. just uh, it's exciting I think uh, what who who is I'm not saying who is what was the oldest uh, women come to you for PCOS and you could treat her? Do you know that women even up to menopause talk about it and they'll talk about PCOS because they'll talk about I've always had PCOS and my hormones have always been irregular and abnormal and I've always been moody and I've always had hair growth and I I sort of I, I'm sort of sad or maybe disappointed to hear that because I want to say, oh my God, you should have come to me, you know, years ago, we could have gotten, you wouldn't be saying this at, at, you know, 48, I've always had this, but, um, most of all, they, they come to me, but they, it's not for pregnancy at that age. I think the, the women that come for pregnancy, the oldest, they don't come just because of the social, um, the social standards right now of pregnancy, they usually come before 35 with PCOS. Mm. But after that, they'll say they have PCOS and they'll complain more about the hormonal milieu than yeah. they will infertility. Yeah, because most women, I'm telling you, in fact, with the PCOS patient, I'll tell her, you have two choices here if you want to get pregnant. One, we can go straight to Clomid and, and we can put out that effort and find out where you're at. Or two, you can check ovulation and you can just do it, you know, make love and check your ovulation for six months and see if you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And if you do, because there's always that chance that you're going to drop an egg because they do, PCOS patients do drop eggs. They they just don't drop them regularly that you're going to drop an egg you're going to make love and boom shakalaka laka boom you're going to be pregnant okay yeah so they, i've told patients to do that and they've come back pregnant and i've got oh my gosh god took care of that one mm -hmm. you know so yeah. i know there are lots of um, this pcos it's a very long discussion if we want to talk about it it takes like hours and hours uh but just um what about um endo endometriosis endometriosis we're gonna say this is the only thing these two have in common so don't associate them together okay and um you can't have one and the other you can't have pco they're they're mutually mutually exclusive 
But the only thing that they have in common, PCOS and endometriosis, as neither one of them is a diagnosis for infertility. Neither one of them. So once again, if any of your audience, your precious, precious goddess audience has a diagnosis of PCOS or, or uh, endometriosis, please do not say automatically, I'm infertile. And don't let anyone else tell you that. So endometriosis is really interesting. I have endometriosis and I didn't know. So you can have it. And I didn't know until I went through infertility and they did a laparoscopic surgery. And my friend Alan comes out to me and he said, hey, hey, because A is a nickname for Adrian. But he said, hey, hey, did you know you have endo? And I said, no, I don't have endo. I've never had a painful period in my life. I sing through my periods. They're simple. And he goes, he showed me pictures and I had endometrial implants. So already, you know, there's implants in the pelvis. So what occurred is what occurs is that the lining of the uterus, the same lining tissue that has a period every month and sheds out, somehow gets into your pelvis, somehow gets into the pelvic area. About 90% of it is on the ovaries and can cause cysts, but it can also be found everywhere else. I found it on the bowel, I found it on the appendix. I had a patient who had a scope and they brought it out through her belly button and she had endo in her belly button. It can be anywhere on in the line of the abdominal cavity. So it can even be on the outside. It can plant in on the outside of your genitalia too. So it's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Now, what happens when that occurs? Well, just imagine the tissue inside your uterus. Like, remember my hands are the uterus and it grows up again and then you don't get pregnant and it sheds out. Imagine if you had tiny little implants all over your pelvis that acted just like that. They grew up they bled and they went down. That's what causes pain. Mm. So pain is associated. And uh, the, the, uh, the uh, symptoms are number one, pain with periods and usually since menarche. So there's pain since the beginning of your periods. Um, and it's pretty severe pain. Women will say, oh, well, and it runs in families. Families that have endo, like sisters, like I have endo, we had a 10 time increase of having endo amongst the sisters. My sisters both, one of them had, one, of them had, uh, one was infertile and lost an ovary to a big, large endometrial cyst. And the other one was infertile secondary. And she would, I remember in high school, she would curl up in fetal position with painful, painful periods. So so that's the kind of pain you're talking about. Hold on a second. I just have to, that phone's kind of bugging me. And that's the kind of pain that you're talking about. Um, also pain with intercourse. And the reason they have pain with intercourse is they'll have pain usually in the position where he's on top, commonly known as missionary, and with deep penetration. Now see if I could do this. If this is my uterus and it's this way, and here's my cervix, and this is my vagina, and he he's having intercourse this way he's pushing down against the ovaries and that's where the where the uh where the endometrius endometriosis usually is so just the pressure going down against you with that angle will cause deep pain and women will complain about painful periods painful sex wow. now the only reason it interferes with infertility is because of the inflammatory thought if you have these little areas inside your pelvis or in your body, and I just told you that 80%, 80 to 90% is found on the ovaries, well, what's right next to the ovaries are the tubes, okay? So the tubes are 
this phone's following me. Okay. The tubes are like this and the ovary hangs down here. So they're very close. So if the endo's on the, on the ovary, it can certainly penetrate up to the tubes. Now the tubes have to have peristalsis. They're like a little snake moving when they pull in the egg. At the end of the tube, if my arm is the tube, there's little fimbria, which is Latin for fingers, and they pull the egg in, and they pull the egg in, and then their arm, the, the tube itself, moves the egg through the tube into the uterus. What if I had uh, over here with endo, and the endo got around the tube and made my tube strictured or stopped up? or made my fimbria not able to move. That would affect fertility. And it doesn't always happen, but it can. So I was taught at Harvard when I trained that endometriosis is the last diagnosis for infertility. If you've done everything out, you've checked his sperm, you've checked her ovulation, there's no scarring, you know, all of this sort of thing. He produces enough numbers and shapes, you know, this sort of thing, so that you've checked everything and that's the only thing left and she does have endometriosis, then diagnosis by exclusion exclusion says that that's probably it and some of the current studies have shown that having surgery for endometriosis does does help with pregnancy okay mm -hmm. so that those are current um when i was in school and training in the 90s they weren't surgery wasn't a given help for uh for pregnancy but the, it is now with the fibroids also you can have um, painful periods right Fibroids are very interesting. I love fibroids too. I think I love everything I do. Okay, fibroids are benign tumors of the uterus. And fibroids can grow inside the uterus, in the middle of the muscle of the uterus, or on the outside of the uterus. So they can be painful and they can cause, if they're closer to the lining, which we've already said a few times is what bleeds out, they're closer to the lining, they can increase the surface area and you can have more bleeding. Ex excess uh, surface area more bleeding. If they're on the top and they're small, less than five centimeters, they're no problem at all. We only treat fibroids if they're symptomatic and the main symptoms are pain and bleeding. And I will tell you, get this, in your 40s, 70% of women in their 40s have fibroids. So they're very, very common. I have two, my sisters have a couple, mine are really small, they never caused a problem. Now, what if you wanna get pregnant? If you wanna get pregnant, and sometimes this isn't diagnosed till miscarriage, and there's a fibroid inside the lining of the uterus, now that's that cavity that you want a pure cavity for the baby to be, uh, for the baby to be fertilized or put into where conception occurs, where implantation occurs. So you want a smooth cavity so the baby can grow and you don't want that egg implanting on a fibroid because a fibroid doesn't have normal blood flow and it's not normal tissue. So if we see a pregnancy implant partially on a fibroid that's there, uh, oftentimes it will miscarry because the placenta cannot grow. And what happens is we get a late, a late uh, gestation um, uh, miscarriage, you know, past the first trimester when the most common time of miscarriage occurs and it happens around 15, 16 weeks and we discover later she's got a fibroid there. Then a doctor would suggest shaving down or removing the fibroid because it interfered with the ability to continue a pregnancy. So that the only time we do operate on fibroids, uh, in other words, 
this is for women who aren't trying to get pregnant. Don't let a doctor tell you, oh my gosh, you have fibroids. We have to do a hysterectomy. No, no. It's bullshit. I'm sorry. That isn't true. No, I have fibroids too. But uh, it was not uh, in in the middle of the fertility problem. I mean, okay, it was okay. not really important. So yeah, I I didn't that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. good to know. I mean, some, some people, um, because it, it's painful, they think that it may be uh, endometriosis. So that's why I ask if... Yeah, that's when you need to... You know what, Pat, Pat, you bring up a really, really good point. And I think sometimes depending on your culture and sometimes just as women, we don't complain about pain or we, we hide it a lot or we just say, okay, I can stand it. How, I, I, how many times I've heard women say, I'll ask them, is that uncomfortable? It's okay. I can take it, doc. You're not supposed to take it. It's okay. I'm all right. I'm strong. It's okay. I know you're strong. You don't have to endure pain to prove it to me. And sometimes women won't complain. But if you're having very painful periods, if you're having irregular periods, if you're having increase in blood flow, if you're having anything that you think in your mind is abnormal or should it shouldn't be like that, you need to go to a doctor for a consultation. I would say to you, it's almost 10 out of 10, but nine out of 10 times when a woman comes with a certain complaint, she's right. And if a doctor listens, that woman in my practice, when I listen, she'll tell me what she thinks she has. She'll tell me when she thinks she got it. She'll tell me what symptoms it's causing and what she wants to do about it. And I just go, thanks. You made my job easier. Patients will come into me now and say, doc, I think I have an ovarian cyst. Okay. Why do you think that? Well, because it's on one side and it kind of bothers me. And when we make love, if he goes off to the left, I feel it and I can, I can press down. It's kind of bad. And I had one, you know, five years ago. Okay, fine. They have a cyst. It makes my job easier, but doctors need to listen. I think if you listen to women, they will really they know their bodies better than you i mean after all they live with them 20 because right now is easier to google it like i'm sorry i said it's easy to google it you yes search it and then you oh i have this issue but uh, some people are mistaken because we are not a specialist as i was not so that's why i said i need to consult with someone who is really because sometimes sometimes you are uh, you just you just try to decide for yourself, but because you are not a specialist and you haven't seen your di- diagnosis, so you make you make a mistake. So that's why uh, you shouldn't trust internet so much. The specialist is the right person to go and give you the diagnosis. Doctors like to say Google doesn't have an MD. Okay. Google does, and, and I think uh, patients, I worry about patients. I don't mind them coming in and saying, I think I have this because I Googled it. I don't mind that at all. But I, I worry when I think that patients worry, okay, by self-diagnosis, you know. So don't self-diagnose and go down a track like, oh, I'm sure I have ovarian cancer. You know, don't go down that track. Come to a doctor who we, like I said, spent 12 years in training and for me, years and years of practice, learning how to diagnose and how to treat and who love doing it, who love taking care of you to optimize your health, you know, who love being there for you. You know, I wish I could come to you before 
is struggling two, three years for this. You know, I didn't change my doctor that time because it was, it's so difficult here in Canada. IVF is so expensive. So after a year, when you struggle and you, you don't get the answer, you straight go to IVF. I'm not saying just IVF. You can do IUI and other medication as well. But um, everything is so expensive. And this, this causes lots of ex stress for you. <laughs> and this is one that of was, the reasons you, you can't get pregnant. Because you go there, give you a statistic, and then give you medication, and then you see the bill. Oh my goodness, how can I pay for this? <laughs> I have always thought, and that's why I love Massachusetts, I have always thought, and they pay very little now, that insurance should pay for infertility because by the virtue of not paying i would say only the rich can get pregnant you know and i just thought that was such a, i i thought that to a certain degree they, and they do pay for basic basic infertility stuff you know your work up and and they'll pay part of it but they don't pay. i remember being infertile in boston and my sister with her endometriosis being infertile in california and she had to decide this is her decision okay, 10 grand, and it was 10 grand at the time. Should I gamble on IVF that's going to give me 30% chance of pregnancy? Should I put a down payment on a house, which we know that we'll have for a while? Or should we put thousands, 15,000 down to adopt a child? I mean, what a choice someone should have. I won't try to get pregnant because it's so expensive and the, and the odds aren't in my favor. So we'll buy a house or adopt a child. They adopted two children. You know, so it's, I, I don't think people should be forced to those kind of decisions. I think that if someone wants some infertility, they should get it paid for by their insurance. Adopting is so interesting. I, I know two persons, two couples, they adopt kids and then they got pregnant. Naturally. You know, you know what our theory is on that? Yeah. Our theory is, is that they quit focusing and obsessing. Exactly. I love you know, that. Yeah. If you know, if you focus and obsess on what you don't have, you're going to get that. The law of attraction says that if I keep thinking, I know I'll never get pregnant. I'm never going to get pregnant. I'll just keep trying. I'm not going to get pregnant. That's exactly what's going to happen. And now they relax. They got their kids and lo and behold, they're pregnant. Yeah. So I think, I think it has to do, I'm, we're not sure that we can explain it in medical terms. I don't need to explain it in medical terms. I think the body functions on a higher level than medicine. Okay. That's what I try to have in my book. So the main uh, portion is about how we can let it go and this happen. I try yeah. to explain it yeah. through my project management skills and PTSD. Uh, and whatever happened to me during the, this two years journey. Yeah, that's so interesting to know and how to cure it and how to be good to yourself. Because as soon as uh, you feel good about yourself and you let it go and enjoy your life, it just miraculously happens. <laughs> well, I think you and I are getting very close to the key for women. And we need to, we need to do, 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 carry a banner for this is that the key I'm finding now and after so many years of caring for women, almost 30 of them now, is that self-love is the answer. Yeah, I love it. Yes. It's very simple, self-love. I had to go through my own journey with that. And when you come to love yourself, 
everything else seems to fall into place, including love, you know, and you come to love yourself. You care for your self-care is self-love. That's in my book. I say self-care, self-love, but I recognize that women have a really hard time with this. And I, I don't know why I, I, not that I need to find out, but um, when I went through my period of where I, I re-envisioned, I, I actually did some soul healing, which took me to Peru and shamans for nine days. But I did that and I recognized that my problem was that I didn't love myself. And I, I came back with that feeling of loving self. So I did this experiment with my patients because I, I do everything with them. So I have mirrors in every room and I had them hold a mirror up to themselves like this. And I'd say, okay, I want you to say those three little words. And they're like, what? I love you. I want you to say, I love you to the mirror, to yourself. Women were stuttered. I, 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 I can't do it, Dr. Laura. <laughs> put it down. And some would say, I love you. I love you. Okay. Do you truly love you? Say it again. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's difficult for women to do that. It's, it's difficult. If there was something that I could teach, because I think it's the core of everything. I wanted to teach it because I work with women and, and sexuality, teaching them to enhance and embrace their sexuality through education and through fun and through self-love. And I just thought, if you love yourself, sex is better. If you love yourself, life is better. You're a better woman, a better mother, a better wife. You know, everything is better when you love yourself. And we spend a lot of time as women because I think we're patterned or we're programmed with our DNA to do nurturing. We spend so much time giving love, it, you know. And so it's it's a very interesting thing. I still don't have it. I don't know that I'll ever you know solve it all, but I do know. I am certain that the answer to a happier life for women is self-love. Exactly. And then That's what you the did in your book. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, I have a few questions. First of all, um, did you talk about the treatment for endometriosis? Yeah, for endometriosis, what you want to do, what, what is happening, you have these implants in the pelvis, they're having a period. So basically think, I want to stop the period because if I stop my own period in the uterus, I'm going to stop all those little implants from reacting and giving me pain. So we give medication that can, we give you pain meds first. So we always give pain meds starting with usually the non-steroidal uh, anti-inflammatories like the Motrin, Ibuprofen, Aleve. Advil. Uh, they're all antiprostaglandins. And in order to contract your muscles in your body, inside of your body, not your biceps, but the inside body muscles, the smooth muscle, they need prostaglandins. So all these um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories block prostaglandin. And so you can't have as much pain. They're, very, they're the best medication for the pelvis. They're, they're better than narcotics. So if you have pelvic pain, you need to be taking some uh, of the uh, NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you stop the period, you can stop the pain because that's when it occurs. So you can stop the period. You can put women on birth control pills and sometimes that reduces, it causes less of the lining to, to, to grow. And so we think that it reduces the growing of the little implants too. So sometimes even low dose birth control pills can help. You can use Depo-Provera, which is a progesterone or an anti-estrogen and you get a shot every three months and it stops your periods. 
it. You can even go up to the level of the brain. Remember, we talked about the cycle of making your periods going bing, bada, bing, bada, bing. Wow. From hypothalamus to the pituitary to the ovaries. You can stop your periods at the point of the hypothalamus. Think of your periods as having a faucet that, that's constantly on. You can go up here and turn off the faucet. Now, you might say, but that turns off everything? Yeah, it does. It does. You do it temporarily. Don't worry. When you take the med away, the medication away, you go right back into your cycles. So what happens is it's called, it's called Lupron and their GNRH agonist. Anyway, the point is that it turns off the cycle. We do this for about six months with women. And during that time, we give them a little estrogen back to them because we don't want them to get hot flashes, dry vagina, the kind of things that menopause will give you. Because essentially what we're doing is we're giving you a medical menopause. In six months of no periods, your uterus is going to stay okay. But the theory is that those little implants that are all over your pelvis that every month had a period along with your cycle are going to die because they're not going to have the cyclic, the cyclic hormones going on. And we will go six months on that and then do continuous birth control pills over that. I've been very successful that way. I prefer to try the medicine before I try the surgery. The final thing would be surgery. And I, I think, by the way, for all women, surgery is the last possible yes. answer, okay? Do not fall for someone who says, oh, you have an ovarian cyst, you need to go to surgery. Someone who proposes that surgery is the first answer is not a good doctor, okay? Mm -hmm. Surgery is considered the last possible thing to do. But in, in endometriosis, I could see you doing it if you wanted to get pregnant because of some of the studies showing after surgery, there's a better chance. So in surgery, if there's any scarring around the tubes, they'll remove it and they'll put dye through to make sure the tubes are patent. If there's any kind of implants, you can see them. They look like a little bruise or they look like they call them gunpowder. They look like chocolate sometimes and they'll go in and burn those little places. You have to remember there's going to be places they don't see that are going to still be there, but they'll do that to reduce the amount of endo, which may be causing, say, inflammation, because we said, again, inflammation and, um, and uh, pain and inflammation can cause some of the infertility as well as some of the actual blocking of the tubes. So if you can reduce that with surgery, if you're planning on getting pregnant and he said, the doc, he noticed how I said he, oops. And the doctor says, maybe we should try surgery first. It'll increase your chances. Yeah. Then that's worth considering if they can present some of the odds to you. Okay. Wow. I love that. Like, you know, too much good information is here and you are a very good teacher because I learned oh. so many things today. <laughs> so I love to teach. I, um, I love to teach. I just, uh, I tell people I'd never met a mic. I didn't like, I'll, I'll talk about anything with you. I'll come back and talk with you. Cause there's so many things that, that women need to know, but they need to know from someone who's, who's well-educated, well-trained and who's not going to sell them a story. Okay. Or tell them something that might be wrong. And who's going to also in, in give fine. I, I'm very careful of not saying I empower. I'm a strong woman and I love what I do, but I don't really empower you. I realize that. I'm not going to say that anymore because people would say you empower women. I don't. I strongly believe that women were born with an innate power that they haven't yet found. 
And I think what happens in our lives is that, oh, little girls don't do that or stop it. Or you know what? You'll never do this. And we're, our little power is diminished. It's not gone. I can help you find it. And we can blow it up like the genie coming out of the glass. You know, it's huge. Women's power is huge. They haven't all find it. So I help you find your power. Today's power with us was that PCOS and endometriosis do not cause infertility. Our today's power that you have within you is that you can find answers and treatments and there's a solution to everything. And today's power is that it's in within you to find these answers and to, and to seek them for yourself. Because you know what? The other thing I discovered, no one else will. No. No one else is gonna find them for you. Exactly. you have to this is only you to call yeah. what you want. Exactly, I love it. That was so powerful. And uh, another thing, uh, do you have any uh, book? You said you have a book? No. A book? No, you don't. You should write it. I have, you know, uh, this is a joke with me and my ex-boyfriend because I have 16 books I want to write. And he said, finally said, you know what you need to do? Write a book called The 16 Books I Always Wanted to Write. So I need to. That will be my next step. I'm going to talk to you off record, off podcast, about how you wrote a book because I'm not sure where to start. No, no, I can't help. Um, we can do it together as well. Like you're gonna be my book anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you and because um, I found it very, very interesting and very trustable. I don't want my audience go and Google it. They can trust specialists who are doing it for years, and they uh, they always have a good results like you. Yeah. And another thing is, do you have any program or any course to teach my you audience? Know, what we're to developing that. We wanted to develop, you know, I'm in the process of doing that. Everything that I've done, Pat, I've kept in my office. And uh, you know how we met is it's because I'm in a position now where I, my message is larger. I will keep in touch with you because I need, I have about three programs I want to develop. One of them is called let's talk about sex, baby, because we found the studies are now showing that if women get together with like women and they talk about sex, they learn to laugh at it. They learn to accept things. They learn to be more relaxed and it improves their home sex life. So let's talk about sex. The other one is love your body, love yourself. I love it. And you said three. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of the third one right now. I'm trying yeah. to think of what it was. Sex and the body one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And uh, another good thing for sex, when uh, fertility, when it comes to fertility issues. Yeah. Uh, it's like even sex is so stressful <laughs> because oh, God. they make eggs. They don't do it for the pleasure. They do it because they want to make a baby. <laughs> they, even yeah, though, and the women are forced. You have to do it. You have to do it. You have exactly. to come home today. Yeah. yeah, going to fertility centers, they say, you have to have sex this day and that day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you want some spontaneity to sex. So I would say, I would tell my patients sometimes, listen, if you know you're ovulating that night, find, you know, if you don't have kids, go to a hotel, have hotel sex. You know, <laughs> hotel sex is always best because there's no, you don't have to make the sheets later. You don't have to worry about the bed. No one can reach you, you know, and go have hotel sex so that there can be something spontaneous to it. You know? <laughs> I really, really enjoyed talk and I really wish to continue but uh, unfortunately our time is, uh, is okay long enough 
So I had so much fun. Yeah, I just I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I love what you're thank doing. You, I love so much being here. Your heart is so big and your mind is so great. And with a big heart and a great mind, you can do many things. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course.